not going to lie. I, I felt like being productive today, but felt so burnt out yesterday that mm-hmm. literally as soon as I got back from home from work, I just started watching George Lopez. <laughs> like, I, yeah, no, you know the show I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. but I couldn't help but notice that a piece of news graced my timeline today mm-hmm. uh, involving you, our editor in chief. Brian Mancini shares his thoughts on the aftermath of the Hart District retiring the Hart High School mascot, along with efforts from Retire Hart Mascot and other groups to restore honor by the right name. And it really kind of stuck out to me because as someone who as someone whose rival high school was that of an Indian chief Mm -hmm. and then later changed to an arrowhead. (laughs) The. I remember one English class, I think it was junior year of high school, where we actually had to write an essay in favor or of against uh, the high school mascot about the mm-hmm. discussion about changing it. And surprise, surprise, I got for keeping the mascot, even though uh, it, it was quite obvious what the easier option would would be mm-hmm. in, in getting a topic question. So mm-hmm. I had to sit there with my thumb on my ass, basically writing about, oh, why it would be great to keep this mascot. And at first I was kind of just like, eh, you know, like I kind of felt like I got the short end of the stick because I really don't know what to talk about. And it, it wasn't as much of a hot button issue here in the Valley as I think nowadays it probably would have been or it would mm-hmm. be now. I think if the whole like Aunt Jemima situation is any indication of like removing important minority idols in order to uh, quote unquote preserve the sanctity that is uh, race relations? I-, I could probably use that as a pretty pretty good argument as as to why it shouldn't have been removed. Now I think at the end of the day nothing happened. I think they ended up changing it to a a feather. <laughs> um, okay. So it, it wasn't really a uh, a monumental change and. Uh, here where I live, I'm not going to dox myself. <laughs> we kind of just forgot about it. I was curious yeah, as to uh, the importance of the article, because I don't, I, again, I don't live where you live. I didn't know this was a hot button topic. Yes. To your point about the, you said it was a rival school that had the. Yeah. So it wasn't my high school. So, right. you know, where I went to high school. Again, I'm not going to say. Yes, well, I, I certainly think that the rival school incorporating the feather could wind up could wind up being met with some resistance uh, if what happened up here is any indication, because that was a frequent argument by alumni of the school was the notion that well, it's not really a mascot; it's more like iconography. Mm-hmm. But as I said in the op-ed. One of the, the sort of holdovers from not having it be just a straight up mascot, and I, I do recall it being just a straight up mascot many years ago until it was decided it was just going to be the letter H with a feather, which, again, the H is meant the H with a feather is meant to replicate the head of an indigenous man with a feather in his hair, which, you know, is obviously evocative of many of the diff- of the. 500 nations that existed across the Americas. And, you know, obviously it's not like every one of those nations was, you know, 
too well i don't want to say it wasn't that like everybody was too different but let's face it if you had to compare the aleuts with the iroquois with the inca forget comparing apples and oranges you're comparing you're you're comparing things that just can't be compared but Mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, this was something that incorporated a lot of different iconography that was also brought in by students, including in recent years prior to the pandemic, featuring tomahawk chops and war cries and teepees and keeping the indigenous iconography in view without explicitly saying Oh, you know, we're the Indians, even though that's the name of the that's the heart, heart mass. Um, for something like this to finally be retired, or at least be on the path to retirement between now and uh, I should know this, but between now and I believe 2025, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 part of a changing tide up here. You know, I think that you have a lot of young people up here that are finally saying we're sick and tired of certain things that have been considered acceptable and for something like this i wholeheartedly agree with what um and i quote him in the op-ed uh he was a former leader of the american indian movement and i'm sure i've mentioned him on the show before russell means he was somebody i i grew up to admire listeners you've probably seen him in movies most notably he was one of the titular last of the mohicans in the film, last the last of the Mohicans, uh, he even says the line, "the last of the Mohe- last of the Mohicans." But um, he he straight up said, uh, "Now 27 years ago, wow," um, and said, "I'm not anyone's mascot, and I'm America's conscience, and that's what they don't want to look at." He was very evocative of, or maybe not so much evocative, but he was very very cognizant of. America's history and treatment towards indigenous people. And it was something that he took. He, he he took with him wherever he went and he made it abundantly clear to people. And, you know, obviously there's kind of the, the liberal stereotyping of it where it, it just kind of feels very forceful. But with means. This was a guy who put words to action and vice versa. And that's something that has to be admired because you don't. It just doesn't feel like you see enough of that anymore with any movement. And then long story short, the the high school decided to amend its constitution to actually honor the descendants of the first Americans that lived in the Santa Clarita Valley hundreds of years ago. Now, obviously, and I mentioned this in the op-ed as well, that I had people telling me, oh, well, you know, the, the people that are their descendants that have their own mission band of Indians, oh, they, you know, they're not... They're not they're not federally recognized, so you can't trust them. And it's kind of like, who's the federal government to say? You know, I mean, like each of these indigenous nations have their own sovereignty. They've always had their own sovereignty. You know, and obviously the argument is, well, it's simple. The colonizer has every right, but that doesn't make it okay. That doesn't make it the right thing. You know, we've had laws in this country that just because they're legal doesn't mean they're right. Uh, slavery, uh, not letting women vote. And in this case, if they if they if these truly are the descendants of the Tatavian people that lived in the Santa Clarita Valley, they have more right to this land than any white person that says, I'm a proud Indian. 
again, I, I, I doffed my cap to uh, the students that made this happen. Hmm. Now, did you say all that in the op-ed? No, not all of it. Okay. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just checking just to make sure that people were still on board. Yeah. I think I think you're going to have to uh, fire me as your political cartoonist and rehire me as your TLDR guy. Oh, God. Well, guess what? I got an article I'm working on right now that might be pretty long. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> but, surprise, but it's about the recall. Surprise. And I, I want oh, people to okay. know as much as they need to know about it. So, oh, man, recall Cuomo is. That sucks, man. It's it's how how did Trump manage to get away with it all and become president? Because like, uh, complacency. Cuomo. What did Cuomo do again? I remember the Internet historian making a video about uh, the virus. And there was a small segment on how he was like. He was like, oh, we've gotten this new hand sanitizer. This was like way, way back when the pandemic was starting. We've got mm-hmm. this new hand sanitizer and it's like 60 to 70 percent like alcohol. He's like floral bouquet lilac. What does that smell like? And he and he outreaches his hand to another person to like smell his finger. I'm like, bro. <laughs> what? <laughs> so anyway. um. I guess this is where we would rightfully transition into our next topic. But to tell you the truth, I don't think we have one. Or at least I don't think we had one actively prepared. I know we were talking about something that we were working on behind the scenes. I'm excited for that to come out. Oh, yes. uh, Well, I do have two topics, one of which... Oh, okay. uh, One of which I I brought to your attention... uh, I think not long after our last episode, um, just because it, it, it pertains to a similar topic. Oh no! Don't tell me this is the, this is the New York Times one that you sent me. Oh. That 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 would be fun to, to talk about, but I'm not sure if that's if that's that. Well, that's certainly one of them. A story I've been sitting on since early July. Um, okay, and go ahead and it, go ahead and say that. This kind of harkens back to um, our very earliest episodes. Uh, back when we were still meeting in person and uh it's uh it, i don't know i thought it was something interesting to, to kind of get your get your take on it um this is from the times of san diego comprehensive uc study debunks popular california exodus theory despite california losing a congressional seat for the first time in history due to slow population growth and some high-profile technology companies and billionaires leaving the state, there is no evidence of an abnormal increase in residents planning to move out of the state, according to a University of California survey released Wednesday. Mind you, this was like a month ago. So, so a University of California survey is surveying why people suddenly have no qualms with leaving California. That, that reminds me of the, there is no, the, that reminds me starkly of the uh, mm-hmm. there is no war in bossing say meme. <laughs> so basically it was like if you've ever seen Avatar the Last Airbender there's a there's a moment where bossing say is like it, it's pretty much just ruled with an iron fist and it's a complete dictatorship or um, again I haven't watched the show in years so 
what I'm saying may not be 100% accurate, but I know that it's not the place to be. And mm-hmm. a woman goes up on screen and basically says, oh, there's no war in Bossing, say. Everything's fine. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of this, where it's just like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with California as as the hills burn, the uh, the people continuously suck, the job market dries up faster than the... Uh, than the drought did years back and still is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seems a little biased. It definitely clears some of it up, but I I don't know yet if I would go too far to say that it is biased, simply because, as the next paragraph reads, the research, which included UC San Diego, is part of a larger multi-institution research consortium led by UC to assess whether there is, in fact, a California exodus and to help inform state policy and public knowledge by focusing on state population patterns. Mm. Um, The research draws on public opinion data, the U.S. Census, consumer credit histories, homeownership rates, venture capital investments, and information from the Franchise Tax Board. Despite the popular notion of unhappy Californians leaving the state en masse, our robust research shows there is actually no exodus, said Thad <laughs> Husser, chair of the political science department at UCSD and the lead researcher of the most recent survey. Of course Policy not. Makers, where are you, you going fi- to find the money to fund this exodus here in California? Of course you're not going to accumulate that amount of money saved up. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you well, know, you got to have some capital to start the exodus. I mean, Christ's sake, when the... At least the people who did the Oregon Trail left with the clothes on their backs and the food in their stomachs, as well as <laughs> caravans of supplies. But, I mean, Christ's sake, you want to try to move states. It's not as easy as I as even I have stated to make it out to be. I think the only reason I say that is because I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping for the pipe dream to be a reality. Like, I'm hoping it can be that cut, that cut and dry of a process, even though I know deep down it probably isn't. But... Go on. You know, and I, I've read this stated elsewhere that a large drive of the exodus has mainly been people that, you know, are conservative and they would rather go to states like Texas or, you know, other red states like Florida or I'm trying to remember which southwestern states were still considered red. I know Arizona's kind of more on the purpley side. It's this disgust with the California bureaucracy and, you know, Sacramento politicians and I sounded like a campaign ad just saying that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, how much of it is really affected by those on the ground? That's something that I would certainly be curious about. I know and I hate bringing him up for a third consecutive episode, but the crazy neighbor of mine, he's not originally from California. He would do anything to move out of the state and not deal with just the price of everything here. The only thing keeping him here is his unvaccinated wife. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, I'll, I'll go on. Um, from housing affordability to post-pandemic recovery, California is faced with solving a daunting number of existential challenges, UC Regent John Perez said. Sliced and diced by geography, race, income, and other demogra- demographic factors, Our efforts have produced a clearer picture of who perceives California as the golden state versus a failed state. The empirical data will be at once 
disappointing to those who want to write California's obituary, as well as a call to action for policymakers to address the challenges that have caused some to lose faith in the California dream, he continued. Um, and then to kind of get to the meat and potatoes of this particular claim, UCSD recently conducted a survey that found the percentage of Californians who plan to leave the state has remained static over the past two years. 23% of California's voters reported that they were seriously considering leaving the state compared to 24% found in a 2019 survey conducted by UC Berkeley. The UCSD survey of more than 3,000 respondents also found by nearly a two to one margin, Californians said they still believe in the California dream that it's a great place to live and raise a family. Spanish speakers, Latinos, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and younger Californians are more optimistic, while middle-class Californians, white respondents, older residents, and Republicans are more pessimistic. Those living in parts of the state that have not been part of the economic, excuse me, part of recent economic expansions are most likely to contemplate moving. Okay, yeah. that I have to kind of push back a little yeah, bit on. Yeah, uh, here's here's my pushback. Californians stay losing, and you could probably tell which side of the aisle I am on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or should I say, Californians stay coping. <laughs> <laughs> There's a gap between the percentage of Democrats, 21%, and Republicans, 30%, seriously considering moving. Asked to look ahead 10 years, 30. 5% of respondents believe it would be better if the population decreases significantly and 46 want it to stay about the same. Only 19% of those surveyed said the state would be better if its population increases. The survey also revealed an 8% decrease in the percentages of Californians who called the state one of the best places to live, down from 50% in the 2019 poll to 42% in the 2021 UCSD poll. And, of course, it goes on to say that the most affluent Californians are the group most satisfied. Gee, no, duh. A UCLA study found that the number of those moving out of California to other states has trended up since 2012, but is similar to levels last seen in the mid-2000s. At the end of the day, it does boil down to party. It does boil down to wealth. It does boil down to age and I think you also got to remember, too, that when it comes to people that are being asked to participate in these surveys, I don't think it is wholly representative. And this is where I'm going to probably sound like I disagree with the survey to some degree. You know, I think you have a lot more people in the state that are far more troubled with what's going on, mm -hmm. politically speaking, as well as just all the financial constraints with living in a state like California. Um, so they don't want to vote with their heads. They want to vote with the nuanced idea that it can still be possible to live here. At least those who participated at the survey, because it right. seems to me that there's an awful lot more people that are pessimistic about it. And it just doesn't sound like, at least for the people who are optimistic, it hasn't, I haven't heard a justifiable reason as to, why reacting pessimistically isn't the sound reaction choice, you know? Yeah. I mean, you look at what's around you and you think to yourself, well, I got to get out of here. And you have the people who are so gung-ho about staying here being like, what are you talking about? It's very... <laughs> Am I going to sound dated when I say this? But it's very 1984-ian. Oh, oh, yeah, geez. you know, live in your pod, eat your bugs, you know, uh... <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. 
you know, if you can't see the shitstorm behind you, it's like, well, I can see it. If you can't, that's kind of your prerogative. Um, I think the conversation would then turn to, uh, okay, so you're going to bash me for my choice. Well, who cares, you know? Yeah. When it comes down to California and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's shifting populations. I mean, I think an easy way to understand that perhaps, and I, you know, again, this was comprehensive. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I know California schools that conduct these kinds of surveys get an awfully bad rap. Uh, again, looking to my neighbor who thought I went to a liberal school and it's like, eh, debatable. Um, but I think that the shifting demographics in the state, and again, depending on who you ask to participate in this survey, would probably tell you the opposite. That, you know, maybe it's not so much that there is a need for an exodus, but perhaps you have people that are tied to the state that want to leave, but perhaps can't due to family obligations, perhaps can't because of, you know, they still think that this is the, the, wellspring for employment opportunities those are the people that are less going to think about things politically speaking or maybe they're the ones that are and they basically think that the two well it's not a two-party system in california but the the one party control over the state is just not doing enough and mm -hmm. i think a, a strong indicator of that in my opinion would have to be if you look at who won the california presidential primaries between 2016 and last year. Hillary Clinton won the state pretty soundly in 2016. Fast forward to now, it wasn't the current president who won California. It was the old the old Jew from Vermont. So it's, you know, I think that and and mind you, I don't think there were enough people suggesting that Bernie had a good chance of winning California. There was a lot of doubt among a lot of establishment types in California that were like, mm, can Bernie pull it? I don't think he can. Can he? And then he and I think that ought to be enough of an indication that maybe you have people in the state that are unhappy, but they still want to live here and they, they want things to improve so they can live here and have an affordable life in the golden state um and who knows i mean with the recall uh, with uh prager U's own uh larry elder potentially being the next governor you know california gets its own donald trump the exodus could completely turn around i don't know um yeah. i think i, I think I mean, a lot of i think a lot of people uh you know, we, we have one Republican governor from California and people think that that's the be all end all. And it's just like, well, it's not around anymore. So if this is going to be your next Reagan, uh, I'm curious as to how this is going to impact the California conservatism. Um, that'll be a, well, that'll be one for the books. Well, who, who, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe in the next 20 years, California will be red. But. It's one of those mm. things where it's just like, yeah, no, exactly. Mm, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath over it, and I'm not, I'm not counting well, on politics to ever save the day. I mean, since its inception, California has largely been a Republican state. It's really only been the last like 
Ooh, I, I guess you could say the last 15 years or so that it's become the blue, quote unquote, progressive haven that Democrats think it is. Um, you know, I mean, hell, I've, I've mentioned it before, uh, which actually leads to a funny little anecdote. Um, my uncle was telling my mom not that long ago about, oh, the L.A. Times doesn't do obituaries for Republicans. Uh, which is hilarious because number one, of course they would, and of course they do. I mean, let's face it: when the, the day the day that Arnold Schwarzenegger shuts down, like he did in Terminator Two, there will be an obituary about former Republican governor Arnold Schwarzenegger has passed away. Blah blah blah. Um, but it's also ironic because the L.A. Times, for much of its history, was known as a Republican newspaper. And obviously, it's it's much younger than the state of California by a good five decades, almost four. But it looks – I'll put it this way. To people of our generations, it certainly looks harrowing to even conceive of California as a red state. But the reality is it's been a red state its whole existence practically. So outside of you know some – upshoots of of liberalism and and democrats um here and there since the 1960s and 70s i mean you basically had two little you had a couple little blips in those two decades then just straight conservatism all the way up until right around the time of the last recall and even then it was still a pretty red state i mean at this rate i'm well i'll put it this way i'm i'm fairly certain that Arnold won probably because people liked him less so because of his politics, even though he was largely supported by former governor Pete Wilson, who was like, you want to talk about one of the most evil men in politics, Pete Wilson, one of the most bloodthirsty governors in recent California history. So, so I don't know, obviously we can talk more about the recall after it happens. Um, I certainly would love to get your take on that, depending on the outcome. But um, I guess we should move on to our our next topic. Following last week's show, where you know we were talking about the the bane of existence uh, known as influencers, um, I passed by a tweet from one of the hosts of of the True Anon podcasts uh, podcast of the True Anon podcast, uh, Liz. Franzik, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Um, she had this great tweet on this particular headline from August 1st uh, in conjunction with like a meme made by an influencer about getting vaccinated against coronavirus um, with this New York Times headline that reads, to fight vaccine lies, authorities recruit an influencer army. The White House has teamed up with TikTok stars while some states are paying local micro-influencers for pro-vaccine campaigns. This is like Olivia Rodrigo speaking uh, at the White House. Remember that shit? I do. Yeah, yeah, no, I had Uh, a, I had a, you know, it's funny. I had a full diatribe on, on one of my live streams. I remember it actually as if it happened yesterday. Um, but it was my live stream entitled uh, Internet Policing or Policing the Internet, some some variation on that title. Mm. And what was supposed to be a very uh, 
I would say black and white stream. Like I, th- this is, this is like a, it was like a non-negotiable, not up for discussion, um, satirical, I'm going to say it again, absolutist stream. Basically mm-hmm. I would look at posts on the internet and if I didn't like them, I would report them as spam. Nothing, <laughs> you know, nothing illegal, nothing that would get anyone in actual trouble. But on Instagram, there's a drop down menu and there yeah. was a choice that just said, uh, I just don't like this image. Just that's it. <laughs> and more often than not, if I didn't like the image, I, I, I said I didn't like the image. <laughs> and, you know, people seem to like that sort of dynamic. But the last meme that I commented on was a video of like or like a photo of Olivia Rodrigo speaking up at the podium about vax about vaccines and i was just like okay well this is totally not a this is a total productive use of someone's reach for for our hip new young generation Mm -hmm. um regarding something totally out of her field because when i think of politics medicine or humanitarian issues i think of olivia rodrigo (laughs) but that's that's just me um you know i (laughs) what the fuck but uh, needless to say, the stream ended with a bang. So it was very, very interesting to see this cross my feed when you sent it to me because it was a matter of like, oh, great, more people are doing it. And I, I don't. I don't know, man. We talked about this the other day, and I said that it, it, it's pathetic you know mhm it's uh it's very shallow and pedantic and i mean at this point if you got to have someone think for you you know mm-hmm. there's already an issue with idolizing celebrities don't get don't fucking get me wrong you nailed it on the head with the uh Olivia Rodrigo reference simply because that's what this New York Times story directly mentions um in in regards to reaching young people And then this is where the article continues. The White House has enlisted an eclectic army of more than 50 Twitch streamers, YouTubers, TikTokers, and the 18-year-old pop star Olivia Rodrigo, all of them with enormous online audiences. State and local governments have begun similar campaigns in which, or have begun similar campaigns in some cases playing, paying local micro-influencers, those with 5,000 to 100,000 followers, up to $1,000 a month to promote COVID-19 vaccines to their fans. This, I, you know, I it was already dystopian enough, everything that we talked about last week in regards to influencers, but this takes it to such a level that I, I really do feel like I'm reading a, a some kind of weird science fiction novel. At least certain mm-hmm. Republicans and conservatives show it on their face. That they're insane. Um, but this is this is probably the most pathetic excuse in leveraging. I mean, let's be honest, leveraging someone who isn't even a member of our generation. And I don't mean to gatekeep, but what is she doing for someone like you or me? Obviously, we're right. going to look at this article and rip it to pieces. But you got to understand that someone looked at this and thought, that's a great idea. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, really, this is a good idea. You couldn't get the uh, the conservatoids, the uh, the backwards ass 
red folk to get vaccinated and now suddenly this is going to be your bit this is going to be your uh <clears throat> trump card if you will nah. this is going to be your coup de gras your ace in the hole your royal flush but is it is it really I would love to see a follow-up article about this to see if, like, oh, uh, maybe it wasn't what we intended. But I, I, I highly doubt that they're going to have that much humility to even publish a follow-up if it didn't work. But even if it does work, it goes to show, like, just how not thought out this is. Oh, yeah. Like, not efficacious. Is efficacious a word? Like, the efficacy is... Yeah, yeah. It's a nil. It's just, yeah. Well, it, it it goes hand in hand with what's been, frankly, a very dismal vaccine rollout because, you know, that was the assumption going into this new administration was that the new president would essentially double down on having the federal government work with each state in terms of vaccine distribution, in terms of messaging, in terms of you know, making it accessible for people to get vaccinated. And the reality of it is, is that it seemed to work. The problem is it only seemed to work in those first few months when the vaccines were only intended for a certain portion of the public. And then after the rest of us finally started getting vaccinated, it was like, well, job well done. Now all we got to do is just do a PR campaign to tell people to get vaccinated but the reality is just saying it isn't enough. And I understand, you know, there's, I, I've seen more than my fair share of cranky, vain, foreheaded. Uh, and when I mean vain, I mean like a vein in your arm, not vain like you're so vain. Um, for Vain, foreheaded uh, Republicans and conservatives that have just lost it over the whole concept of just going out and getting people vaccinated like I said before, and in, in my absolutist wisdom, air quotes, um, because I overheard a conversation today saying that, like, well, if the people don't want to get vaccinated, they're going to die. Not saying that they right. like should die, but it's something that if they're already immunocompromised, if they're already susceptible to it, if you see the stats and witness how many people are dying every day, it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, it's going to happen. And I'm not saying that I'm the uh, the purveyor of that perspective, but it 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 feels good a little bit to understand that people are just no longer caring about um, uh, people who are so in their own heads and up their own asses about what they think is good for them, even though it isn't good for anybody. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's something that at the end of the day, you really can't feel bad for, especially <laughs> for your neighbor. Well, I'll simply say this, that I, I, all efforts have ceased at that end. Um, and, you know, even even my mom just wants to stay far away from her when she sees her. And it again, it, it makes you think, like, would people have been more anxious to get it? Were they basically told this was the Trump vaccine, which, you know, I, I've seen people like Patton Oswalt go out of their way to tweet that and basically say, OK, fine, we give up. Yes, it was developed under Trump. Therefore, he gets all the credit. Therefore, he wanted you to have it. Therefore, why won't you get it? And I mean, that that's kind of the see lazy way of trying to convince somebody 
But at the same time, given the fact that the guy could do no wrong and people would still go out of their way to vote for him, I don't know. It, anyway, it, to go back to the article, um, the efforts are in part a counterattack against a rising tide of vaccine misinformation that has flooded the Internet where anti-vaccine activists can be so vociferous that some young creators say they have chosen to remain silent on vaccines to avoid a politicized backlash. The anti-vaccine side of the Internet is still set on all this vaccine news, said Samir Mezrahi, the administrator of several meme pages such as Kale Salad, which has nearly four million followers on Instagram and posts viral videos and other content. We're posting about J-Lo and Ben Affleck. But even if the influencer campaigns amount to a sprinkler in a wildfire, some creators said they felt compelled to join in. Felt uh, mm-hmm. compelled as the checks rolled in. Yeah, I'd feel compelled, too. Only thing it well, I, I think that's why I have respect for certain YouTubers who uh, don't accept trash advertisements on their videos. But uh, <laughs> keep going. Well, uh, you, you kind of hit on that right on the head uh, with what I'm about to read. I didn't worry about the backlash, said Christina Najjar, 30, a TikTok star known online as Tinks. Oh, oh God. Helping spread the word about the importance of getting back. Of course she fucking didn't worry about the repercussions of it all. How much do they pay her? It's it's getting there. It's getting there. Uh, Helping spread the word about the importance of getting vaccinated was the right thing to do. Miss Najjar said she was thrilled when the White House reached out to her through her manager in June. She has a manager. She soon posted a question and answer video about the vaccines with Dr. Anthony S. Fauci, director, uh, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases on Instagram. Their banter was light, discussing what she called a happy vax girl summer. Miss Najjar peppered Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci with questions. Was it safe to go out for a drink? Should we be concerned about getting pregnant after getting the vaccine? Do I look 26? You have an ageless look to you, he replied. I'll tell my Botox doctor that. (laughs) A White House official said Dr. Fauci was not available for comment. Oh, and this was another thing that I was going to bring up separately that I didn't realize the story brought up. Um, I've read the story, but I actually had forgotten about this. Public health officials have used celebrities to reach people since Elvis Presley rolled up his sleeve on the Ed Sullivan show in 1956 to get the polio vaccine. These days, young people are more likely to trust the advice of their favorite content creator than a mainstream celebrity, according to a 2018 study by the marketing agency MuseFind. The White House began considering the power of online uh, creators in January, repurposing the influencer marketing tactics that Mr. Biden had used on the campaign trail toward promoting vaccines, said Rob Flaherty, the White House director of digital uh, strategy. Strategery. Um, since then, the Biden administration has rolled out influencer discussions with Dr. Fauci and brought Miss Rodrigo to the White House, where he where she urged people to actually get to a vaccination site. Um, and it just kind of goes on from there. Sort of just reporting on various instances of getting other people to go out and mm-hmm. or rather getting other influencers involved in convincing people. And I think to some degree, while. The Elvis analogy certainly contextualizes this in a historical way that I can appreciate. At the same time, you're year one into a new presidency. And for about, what, four months, you 
ran your own PR campaign to get people involved. And during those four months, you basically gave up and said, we're going to give it to the TikTokers. And then for the next uh, four months after that, that basically was part of your that was basically a focal focal point of your strategy was to rely on online influencers. I mean, to be honest with you, I hear that and I'm like, yeah, this is why Republicans are probably going to keep winning elections from now until the end of time. Mm-hmm. And Democrats won't because I, I just, yeah. oh God, I mean, here, here's, here's kind of a, kind of a truth bomb, if you will. Mm-hmm. The younger generations and most predominantly the Democrat, the democratic ideals that bestow them are interesting. Everyone likes to hear new ideas because everyone at the end of the day wants to make sure that their ideas rake in the most dough. After all, how would you pay for a presidential election? It's advertising, it's source of media streams. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to advertising. The the person in the suit enacting the policy, I mean, it's it's one foot in the door and one foot out. It could very well happen. It could very well not. But at the end of the day, and I and I really do hate to sound like such a boomer when I say this, is that you really have to hand it to the Republicans where despite scandal after scandal, it doesn't have to resort to ideas that aren't even good on paper. You're going to tell me that a bunch of content creators, a bunch of TikTokers, a bunch of down in the dung looking for a paycheck internet celebrities know the hole in their ass from public policy really okay and people make that argument well if it's a whole bunch of old white men in charge uh what makes you think that they know the ideals of you know the younger generation and fine solid argument there that's a very solid argument yeah because joe biden remember joe biden doesn't care about millennials problems how he said it yeah no exactly however though you got to look at the efficacy. Yeah, those people have been in that in that position for a really, really long time. And as much as you may disagree with their politics, they probably know public policy more than mm, someone who has a phone and a camera. I'm just saying you don't have to agree with the politics, but the proof is kind of in the pudding when the Democratic candidate, the Democratic president, doesn't understand it either and thinks that this last resort is the be-all, end-all. Now – right. It's interesting. It it definitely is. It further lends to my ideal that TikTok is probably one of the biggest psyops this side of the West. (laughs) Anyway, so it's something that as much as I would like to stand toe in toe with my with my fellow uh, with my fellow rebels, if you will. You kind of have to look at, well, you know what? Who has more experience here? You know, and, and you could even make a case for the old fucks sitting on the left side of the aisle who are well on their way out as their Republican counterparts. Compared to the 18 to 25 year olds, I don't know. Who do you think you would listen to more? And it's funny that 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 answer isn't the people who were put in place to do their job to do just that. It's the people on the other end of the phone. And I think that's what kind of makes me wonder if this, if anything humanitarian or medical or political is even going to be enacted by 
people in those positions. If it's in the future going to be enacted by people uh, our age, you know, is this the big democratic turnover that that we were all expecting? Are the youth finally get their going to get their day in the sun? I don't know, but this isn't a good start in enacting that. No, it lays bare two things. One one of which I I, I don't want to go too into the whole Obama birthday thing, but there's an element to that that is is clear and present in this whole the White House's influencer army story. But the PR campaign last year of telling people to vote for Joe Biden, it was solely out of the sense of just getting rid of Trump. I mean, that that was why my my two cents was I, I just go tell people to vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. It just seemed to me that you had enough people that were going out of their way to serve as their own unofficial PR person for the Biden campaign. And at the end of the day, it, yeah, it amounted to something, but it didn't do the job of convincing those that either weren't going to vote for him or convincing those that wanted to vote for him, but didn't know what he was going to do as president. And surprisingly, I don't think there were as many of those particular voters as, as there have been in previous elections, i.e. 2016. This is where you needed to have more people, like my, not to put myself on a pedestal whatsoever, but you needed to have more people come out and essentially say, why? Why him? What has he got that's going to be that much better? Because frankly, it also shows this whole concept of, oh, I need to show how popular I am with the young folk and also how cool I am that I'm kind of right. like a celebrity. And this is where the Obama analogy comes in, where with Obama's birthday, the long story short of it, you want to hear the full story, go to listen to Chapo's episode about it. But the long and short of it is uh, for Obama's 60th birthday, he had all these people that were being invited and they had to cut down the list of people being invited due to not only the uptick in COVID cases with regards to the Delta variant, but also the optics looked fucking wrong all across the board. Talk about let them eat cake. Um, mm -hmm. But when it came down to the people that he axed from attending the party, it was all of the political people that have been crucial to Obama's success his whole life. And instead, it was turning around and getting people like, I think it was like Eddie Vedder and... Bruce Springsteen and, you know, all these celebrities to go to his birthday bash and less so the people that have basically been his loyal political compatriots for several years. I mean, outside of the guy's own narcissism, there's something kind of weird with that. You right. include the narcissism and it's because he sees himself outside of being part of, you know, the argument about D.C. has always been. It's Hollywood for ugly people. And Obama's always <laughs> wanted to be outside of that. It's true. That's that's I remember reading that in Mark Leibovich's This Town um, with regards to the White House Correspondents Dinner and how it's basically like the Academy Awards. But for, you know, political wonks and, and you know, wacko journalists and Democrats um, and Donald Trump, I should note, mm -hmm. um, long before he had the ambition to run for president in 2015, but Obama's always seen himself outside of that. And he's always relied on that even while he was president. And that's why he is as beloved as he is 
wrongfully so, in my opinion. And the same goes with, uh, with Biden. You know, he, he wants to be that kind of a president. He wants to be in that same vein as Barack Obama. The difference, obviously, or the differences obviously are the age and also simply the fact that we're in a much more dire situation. Even though, let's face it, Obama had eight years to fix the economy and he barely did that. And he was still prancing around, uh, you know, YouTube interviews and podcasts and whatever else, because he just wanted to get his name out there, even though it's like, dude, you're president, mm-hmm. your name is already out there. Right. So right, right, right. with Biden doing this, it's like, you know, come on, man, I. I, I'm I'm an I'm 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 an I'm an I'm an influencer, man. You know, I see here's, I, I influence all that all that legislation that, you know, put all those super predators in jail. I mean, come on, man. Right. I influence that. I mean, I mean, remember, <laughs> right, um, Hillary, remember, poor people uh, don't poor people uh, aren't as intelligent as white people. Remember that that was, that was a good one that he said. But Biden is the perfect example of someone who is that old head in power yeah. now in power, especially where it's like, okay, Biden, you've been through countless administrations. Okay. You have understood the law. You have studied it. You have converted it to memory and you are now in a position that basically, you know, no one can take away from you for four years unless you get assassinated or anything dire happens to happen. You'd think that despite the allegations from him, despite the nuanced QAnon theories and and funny memes, haha, child predator like uh, shit posting, you'd mm-hmm. think that it would be easy to simply brush that aside. Look to your constituents, look to your American citizens that you are representing and say no. I'm not going to get a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds who don't understand the position that I'm in and think that they do. I'm not going to pander to the lowest common denominator and think that that's going to be the solution. That's just me, okay? And I don't think he'd have to be Republican, Democrat, or anywhere in the middle to really come to that conclusion of efficacy of, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea, okay? And maybe, here's a thought. Maybe by resorting to this particular decision of this representation of this age demographic, maybe it kind of belittles that generation that were nothing more than people who could just look behind a phone and blindly obey what uh, mm. XYZ celebrity says. Hmm. You want to talk about 1984? There you go. But. <laughs> It also notes on two different things, one of which being I highly doubt this was Biden's own idea. Oh, it was no, pro- it, it not. had to have been, you know, it, it could have been his press secretary. I'm I'm pretty sure this digital strategist that I mentioned earlier, I get the impression they were likely the person that drove this conversation. And all, the, probably the most Biden did was green. It was he, he probably greenlit it. But mm-hmm. on top of that, it's. While it reeks of desperation, it's certainly there's kind of an irony to it, given people's attention spans and especially sort of the point of a lot of these influencer outlets like TikTok and how they're catered to people's short attention spans. But 
you know, in a, in a twisted sense, it's a way to somehow keep people, keep young people reminded about, oh, this is the guy who got my favorite person to tell me to get vaccinated. And that that could backfire in a good way, meaning, you know, that's basically a vote for him or more likely somebody else in 2024. Or yeah. even next year, for that matter. And yeah, it, it, it could backfire in a good way, or it could backfire by two uh, by two Valley Boys on a podcast saying, "Hey, your idea is shit, and you should feel <laughs> bad about it." You know, that's well, just me, though. Well, yeah. I mean, let's face it. We're not we're we're not the audience that his his administration is looking at. Well, we are, but we also aren't because a we're vaccinated, and b what I'm about to say sounds so stupid, but I don't need Joe Biden's influencer army to tell me to get vaccinated. Like it well, just sounds. I don't. I don't feel as though you need any politician, no matter how young they no. are or how old no. they are, to tell you what decisions you need to make in your life. And I understand that that's a very conservative statement to make, but look at it this way. I don't think it is. Well, if you want to go, I wouldn't say it's a conservative. If you want to go about it, I mean, if you want to go about it the independent way. And and not the the uh, the Joe Biden collectivist way. Hey, let's rally our troops and uh, see what happens. Well, here's what happened. People looked at that. People looked at celebrities saying, hey, get vaccinated and fucking laughed their asses off. So yeah. whether or not you choose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. I mean, at the end of the day, I firmly believe that it should be left to left up to one's own discretion. What I don't like are people high up on their horse as to why you should get vaccinated and especially why you shouldn't get vaccinated. Yeah, we know people on both sides of that aisle. Um, well, m more so the latter, but I'm not going to yeah. dox anyone here. But it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want the government telling me what to do. And at the end of the day, when the government enlists the help of. uh <laughs> of the TikTokers on on my ass. Um yeah, it, it kind of points me in the direction of where I don't want to go. It goes back to what I said earlier that it just tells me that despite the previous administration not having a plan, this administration did not have a plan. Like oh. you know, it's it, obviously 8 years under the Obama presidency you know, you know, and then you add in the the four years of Donald Trump, that completely turned people off to the notion that you can have people from both parties be president and have them be equally as bad as the other. And the reality of it is, is you know, you look at how George Bush handled the 08 crash. It was abysmal, and it cost John McCain the election. Oh Biden, get, oh Biden, oh my God, I pulled a Sarah Palin and said, oh Biden, oh no. <laughs> Oh, no, oh, right. Senate, fucking trap. Senator Biden, um, Obama gets in there and he essentially does a little bit more than what George Bush did. Right. Same difference with the crisis we're going through. We have been going through. Trump did the most effort he could possibly stomach in responding to covid. And Biden has literally done the exact same amount, but just a little bit more. And outside of that. A little I bit mean, more with a whole lot less efficacy. I don't I don't know if I'd go that far simply because, again, it 
certainly I I believe in the idea that we got our vac we would have gotten our vaccines potentially later had it been under the previous administration. Uh, oh no, but, oh no, well exactly, but but do you think people would be more so openly denying it um right. if Biden and wasn't in office and, and if it wasn't resorted to these tactics in order to get vaccinated? If Trump would have done nothing but stated that vaccinations are coming, I feel as though a lot more people would have would have realized that, well, it's kind of under my own free will and discretion to get vaccinated or not. And honestly, I think letting the letting the individual make that choice is is the route that people should go on. If I'm being told what to do by someone who's younger than me, you know, it's not so much of an age thing, so much of it is a really like you're getting this person to help you. You could have just left it with, I'm Joe Biden, please get vaccinated, turn off the cameras and see what, but, the, what the country does. But he's doing that and it's it's not working. Yeah, it didn't work. And this didn't work and, either. And if it did and, work, and I feel bad. I think that a lot more of the hesitation with vaccines would not be so strong. Because, again, like I told my mom earlier, like that Trump brand carries weight among the 40 percent of people that won't get vaccinated if they were told i mean people probably voted for donald trump because they thought the vaccine was coming the day after the election or the day of the election or the day before or whatever he whatever excuses he gave and so it still would have been a disaster it still would have been a shit show the only positive outcome is maybe we would have had more people vaccinated than we do now well how do you feel now Mm-hmm. given everything that's transgressed and having to resort to this. Like I said, I, I think it reeks of desperation. You know, I think the White House is clearly looking at next year and thinking we need to make it look like we've succeeded with COVID before the midterms. And if history teaches us anything, Republicans are likely to regain the Senate and possibly the House next year. And in which case, Biden's basically going to have two years of doing nothing. And, right. you know, it's, it's like with, with any presidency, those first two years are the abject most critical. That was why Obama had to do everything he – well, that's why Obama thought it was necessary to do as little as possible in regards to responding to the 08 crash in 2009. And then by 2008 uh, – excuse me, by 2010 – that was when Obamacare needed to be rolled out, because by the end of 2010, you know, uh, to put it in his words, he was going to get shellacked. And he pretty much was. And then 2012 rolled around. And despite Republicans hating him, he got another term. And despite four years of nothing, he got another term. And that's kind of where we're at now. We got two years of, of what's going to – well. One year so far of a lot of action that has thus far – thus far it's an optics game because if people think this has been successful in how Biden has responded to COVID, especially Democrats, maybe they'll turn out in droves next year. I simply don't know. I mean we, we, you know, we still got to get through a good chunk of 2022 to really see any of the after effects of – Biden's response, I think. I mean, because so far it has been dismal. And so far I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this has been maybe even less effective than the rest of the president, rest of the horrible presidents that I've lived through since I was born. 
Hashtag liberals stay losing. On another um, note, I guess before we end the show, um, mm-hmm. uh, if, if I can be at least patriotic for one minuscule microsecond, uh, good job, U.S., on kicking everyone's ass in the Olympics. Um, I, yeah, no, that was uh, that, that was that was a fun two weeks. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. No, it was longer than that. I think it felt longer. Felt longer than that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the 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 political correctness and incorrectness that spawned from it in the memes that followed were mm, hysterical. <laughs> hysterical. I, I just I avoided a lot of it. I I don't know. I in the past I've I've been excited with Olympics, but I think a lot of people came together mm-hmm. this time around not so much in support of the u.s winning the olympics but to dog on china like they never have before and i think mm. if we had that if they, i think if we had that sense of group think <laughs> um i think a lot more differences would be resolved maybe i mean there's nothing that unites people more than a uh, than a common punching bag Oh yeah, oh that's true. That's that's the stone cold truth. Um, I don't know. It it seemed to me like it seemed to me like there was definitely more indifference this go around simply because oh the 2020 Olympics. Well, it's not 2020 anymore, and things are still awful. So this, no matter what year it is, this doesn't feel appropriate. And you know I. I find some solace in that thinking maybe that will just further go on in, in giving people less hope for future Olympic games. Cause I know, uh, I know in seven years time, we have the Olympics coming back to LA and outside of all of his failures, that's the one thing Garcetti got accomplished, not minimizing the militarization of the LAPD, not, curbing the homelessness crisis, not having a sustainable solution to the drought in any way. Hey, we're going to have a useless stadium in Los Angeles and nobody can be there except the Olympians. So the medals aren't even made out of real gold. It's just silver. It's, it's predominantly silver. It's, it's not, you know, the, the metal allocation is like over 90% silver and you know x amount of zinc and gold and whatever you know if they really if they really wanted to be progressive they do what skittles did during pride month and made all the medals one color then you couldn't tell what it was it'd basically just be a participation race though and i don't know i guess uh we can't have that (laughs) (laughs) well and i think too that uh I, I'm loving your use of the word progressive just because it's reminding me of other discussions I've had as of late in terms of that word, but that may have to be saved for a future episode. But until then, listeners, this has been Mars on Life. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. 
Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Urberich, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. Once again, I am Ryan Mancini, and my co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. If you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>